Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode, we discuss two classic Disney animated films, which are Aladdin and The Lion King. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hello there, everybody, and welcome in to episode 193 of Film Tank. I am Alex Diekman, along with my two buddies, Nick Cheney. Hey! Wow. Sorry, I don't have my headphones on, so I don't know how loud I'm talking. It was very loud. It's that's that's not good for anybody. Oh boy. Okay. Also, Tucson Egan. Ah, uh, it's a film tank, film tank episode. That's the new intro right there. We just just bookmarked that. It's good. Excellent. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank it you. Is... Welcome to you. Welcome to you. Oh, hey, that's a movie honored. starring. Kirsten Wig. No, that's welcome to me. Ah. Never mind. Uh, little tidbit for you. Uh, is it Kirsten or Kristen? Kirsten, I think. Maybe. Kirsten, really? Kirsten. It, maybe it's Kirsten. I don't oh, know. What I don't know really. I it's Kirsten Dunst. I was going to say, I don't know oh, that's many famous of. Kirstens other Never than mind. Kirsten Kristen. Dunst. Kristen sorry, Kirsten. Sorry, Kristen. Asshole. We're sorry. Not really. Yeah. I'm sure she's Got okay money. with life. <laughs> yeah, she's good. She's got that bridesmaid money. Career, I was gonna say her career hasn't really taken off. Does it need to after bridesmaids? Yeah, all you got is Saturday Night Live. All you need is to have like one. She shot the target. All she needs is like one successful film and a really sound financial advisor, and she'll be just. She had that fabulous performance as the assistant and mother. I mean, excellent. Oh yeah, that's right. Shit, damn. This is art. What? She was literally parting a Red Sea. That's right. Yeah. Wow. That's. Uh, That's we're not going to talk about that film. No. We're going to bury that again. That comes up a lot. Nowhere. No. It's not ever going to come up again. Good luck to uh, you, sir. Yep. <laughs> so today, uh, going to take an opportunity to take a probably brief look back as we've covered both of these uh, films previously on this podcast, actually in a smaller. Uh, on our animated episode, which was eons ago now at this point. Mm -hmm. But with uh, the live-action Aladdin coming out to the theater just uh, last week, and the Lion King sort of live-action coming out later this year. They're um, real animals. Sure. Uh, I personally thought it would be a great time to look back at the two classic animated films from the early 90s, uh, which are Aladdin and The Lion King. Uh-oh, retrospective episode, hop into the TARDIS. Woo, 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 woo. We're here. Thank you very much for that. Yeah. Now where you've arrived, it's mm -hmm. great. Yep, back in the 90s. I was going to say... Boy, can we stay here? I was going to say a much simpler time. Oh, was it though? George H.W. Bush was president. Mm. I wasn't seeing a therapist. <laughs> yeah, there's still some good cartoons on Nickelodeon. 
So speaking of cartoons, so a big reason why I wanted to go back and rewatch these films, I mean talk about them too, but really take the time to rewatch them is I've really been wanting to watch more true animated films recently just because like two dimensional traditional animation. Yes. Oh. Because I feel animation. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like this was at least for my lifetime so far the peak of Disney creativity when it came to the way that they actually created images on the screen. I know that in the glory years long ago when they made the original animated films that everybody remembers like Cinderella and Snow White, Mm -hmm. they had all these unique things that they did that were completely off the wall and revolutionary and made the picture pop out and made you able to create depth throughout the screen and things that people were never seen on the screen before or anywhere really. Um, but then there was a renaissance in the late eighties and through the nineties in which I think there are six Disney films that are part of its renaissance era mm-hmm. of which these are two and I, it includes Beauty and the Beast is the other major one. But then there are other ones that are kind of like secondary, like I think of the late, Hunchback of Notre Dame. I think and of the late era Milan. films, um, yeah. like Tarzan, I think of. I don't think that's technically in that. Group. I mean, I mean, this is talking about late era, like before they totally phased out of like doing like. Is Hercules like the tail end of the Renaissance? Hercules is one of the Renaissance films. I mean, as far as like, I think they're on their way out. They yeah. were, yeah, but so, that yeah. was still kind of part of that uh, spirit. Yeah, I think it's in the same. I mean, these films have a lot of very similar themes across them. Not that all Disney films don't yeah, in yeah, some but, way, but hey, I like Hercules better than I like one of the two films we're going to talk about. Oh, oh. I, do like, I do like I do like Hercules too. I'm a big fan of Hercules. Yeah. I'm a fan of really... I'm a little fan of Hercules. Because oh. you're a little guy. <laughs> I mean, I like Phil from Hercules. He's a cool character. Yeah. Danny yeah. DeVito. Danny DeVito is Danny a great DeVito. actor. He is an actor. One of our greatest living actors. <laughs> oh, God. You know, I know he was canceled, but... He's not canceled. Uh, what do you not mean? Not him. About to tell <laughs> a story. Uh, but the episode of the Larry Sanders show, where Jeffrey Tambor's character, uh, Hank Kingsley... Uh, gets to go audition for at that time when Disney was making the Hercules movie. And he believes, because his voice is so uh, surly and, uh, you know, rough, that, of course, he would be going to um, audition for the voice of Hercules. But he was not. He was brought in to audition for the voice of, like, a goat or something. Like, not even Phil, but just a random whatever. Yeah. Oh, man, that's just... I can't not think about Jeff so, Kingsley. Technically, yes. the Disney Renaissance period includes 10 films over a 10-year period, okay. the last of which is Tarzan. Oh, wow. So the Renaissance period includes The Little Mermaid. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's the, part of it? Yeah, I guess that yeah. makes sense. The Rescuers Down Under, okay. Beauty and the Beast, okay. Aladdin, okay. The Lion King. Okay. Sorry. Like, you okay? Okay. <laughs> okay, that's great. Yeah. It's like Mr. Garrison over here. Yeah, okay. Same guy. Okay. Uh, Aladdin, The Lion King, Pocahontas, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Hercules, Milan, and okay. Tarzan. But where does uh, Beauty and the Beast and Enchanted Christmas fall? There's no Enchanted Not Christmas on this list. Yes, yeah, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a direct to 
video. Directed to my heart. Uh, like. no, no. I mean, the last, one, one like two of the last uh, Disney animated films, like actually like, I think of Atlantis, The Lost Empire, I think of The Emperor's New Groove, and I think of The Princess and the Frog. Only two of which so of those I've Princess actually seen. Frog, those are late era. Those the are Princess much... and the Frog was an offshoot years after they'd abandoned 2D animation. Yeah. They, they, people were saying, we want to see this, and they're like, they gave a shit movie, and people were like, this was garbage. And they're like, see, we're never doing this again. <laughs> but that wasn't, you, they totally phoned it in. <laughs> like, that's, I know. Yeah. I think that might have been their plan. Yeah, that's kind of the whole plan. Uh, that being said, not to mention, really I think it's going to come back at some point. At some point, what? but not to mention, the, people love nostalgia. The Princess and the Frog two, they banked <laughs> not two, uh, 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 as well. Uh, one of the other caveats, kind of, of that film was that they were also banking on having their first African American. Uh, yeah, they you know, totally quote unquote Disney princess. They buried so that was two things at the same thing time yeah. for both. I'm guessing how that. Fueled into their marketing, which is the idea that I'm sure they didn't hype it up as much as they could have. But also the retroactive of like, well, we tried to give you your woke Disney, yeah. and y'all didn't show out. We tried it. to put a black in it and see how you see how you rewarded us. We tried to make a fucking traditional film, see how you reward us. Well, it's your fault, not ours. It's not like we totally phoned this in and made a shit film and then totally buried it. The animation in The Princess and the Frog isn't actually that bad. No, I no. I own it and I've watched it and some of the songs are okay and yeah. it's just not it's it's exactly what middle ground Disney looks like. Yeah. But to stage a comeback, you gotta you know do better than that. Yeah. Which I don't think they really wanted to do a comeback. No. Because yeah. you need talented people and money. To Once make Pixar these kind of became films. a thing. Yeah. Disney. When, when Toy Story happened, that is when like. It was a 2D animation was taken out to the back of the ship. It's more of a 2000s when you saw that it was a sustainable model. Right. uh, Then that was like, oh, we 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 buy that, and and now we only do this, even even when we're not in Pixar. Which is kind of a shame because I gotta tell you, like, even if you don't love one of the films we're talking about today, but the fact that in a four-year span you had Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, and The Lion King all released at the same time is pretty incredible when you look yeah, back yeah. on it because those are all pretty much classics. Yeah. So, yeah. so uh, the movie we'll talk about first, uh, I guess, will be the first movie we watched on this rewatch, which was Aladdin, which... Yeah. Makes sense, since it was released in 1992, two years before The Lion King. Oh, wow. How old were we? Um, I mean, it dates as far back as like my earliest memory of like watching Aladdin. That's not my question. I think I was... No, I'm trying to see how old were we. So I was like, I had to be like... This is a math problem. I had to be like... Not in English. I mean, I had to class. be like three when I first like remember watching it, being no, cognizant no. of watching it. How I was old two. were you when the film came out? I was out. fucking two. Okay. okay. Yeah. Boom. Here we go. I was five. I was one. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> you're somehow taller than than you are now, so that's weird how that works. That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make I any know. sense. That's what I'm saying. It's oh, fucked up. You God. can do better. You can do better. This fucking fucking parrot. Yeah. Fuck is this? Yeah. Just like in this movie. Ha <laughs> <laughs> Now you'll eat the crackers. <laughs> to be fair, these movies do make a good double feature because it's all about birds who are fucking tired of this shit. That's true. It is very true. So, Some more helpful than others. Okay. Yeah. Um, Iagu is definitely an interesting bird. I mean, you talk about the voices of the birds. Uh, you've got Gilbert Gottfried. Who is in canceled. Aladdin. 
And then you have Mr. Bean in Who the is Lion King. Not canceled. No. No, and uh, you know it's funny that everybody knows him as Mr. Bean when actually Rowan Atkinson is like a terrific actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, his work in Blackadder, the series, uh, is arguably even more famous. Like Mr. Bean is like the American signpost of what we think of <laughs> Rowan Atkinson, but like in England, he is a national treasure. Uh, and anyway, I just wanted to give him a shout out because he's no, because under, he's underrated. Deserves it. He's a he's, he's got some great line readings. I was mm-hmm. gonna say he's a really great. Um, He's a really great um, voice performer, yeah. as well as just an actual actor. The Mr. Bean stuff is... That's all that I'm really familiar with him with, but yeah. sounds yeah. gotta watch Blackadder. Yeah. So, in Aladdin, we find a kind-hearted street urchin and a power-hungry grand vizier who vie for a magic lamp that has the power to make their deepest wishes come true god who wrote this shit yeah uh so this film yeah street rat this film uh has the voices of robin williams as everybody will know as the genie oh there's a story behind that is there oh yes there is there's a huge story about like the legacy of Robin Williams, like because when this film was first being like shopped around through Disney, like before Robin Williams was even signed on to actually like work on it, it was basically being like touted as a Robin Williams vehicle. Like Eric Goldberg, who uh, was one of the lead animated animation, uh, like like one of the lead animators on it, actually just created animatic of the genie. Basically, just going off of one of the recordings of Robin Williams' like old skits and stuff, right? And because Robin Williams was a huge fan of animation and he wanted to be a part of animation, um, he actually signed on to do this film. But before that, he actually had also signed on to another film. Does anybody else know what that other film was? Fucking Fern Gully. He signed on to do Fern Gully before he did before he did um, uh, Aladdin, right? And he agreed to be a part of both films. Like, he already made an outstanding obligation to do Fern Gully, and Fern Gully was going through, like, development hell or something like that. And that's why it was so protracted, and that's why Aladdin was going forward more quickly uh, with regards to that. Um, Basically, in a lot of of ways, the entire production of this film sort of morphed around Robin Williams and his performance as the genie. Like, Eric... um, he, I, I, I found this uh, this speech that he did, this presentation he did on uh, Twitter that was linked through uh, one of the cartoon blogs that I actually follow. And he was talking about how, you know, in his however so long career that Aladdin was probably the most improvisational film that he had ever done as an animator. Because it was literally like the first musical number that the genie does – where he's going through all these different transformations and he's performing for Aladdin. And then at the end, he has the applause sign. There's actually a story behind that because it's like, yeah, it's like, yeah, we did a, a testing with these kids and they didn't necessarily like they didn't applaud at the end of that song. It's like, can we just put an applause sign there? It's like and just those sort of ways of, of like to us, it doesn't seem like a big deal. But back then, even like gesturing towards the fourth wall and actually like br- outright breaking it and actually like gesturing towards the actual audience, especially in the beginning where you have the um, the, the merchant who is like talking to the audience and like pressing against the screen. That was like a 
big deal back then. People just didn't do that. And especially in a film for kids. Yeah, and and and, and something that I mentioned while we were actually watching it, where um there is a scene where the genie transforms into Pinocchio for a second with like a like a extended nose saying that like Latin is a liar. Like that was sort of a a, a watershed moment of self referentiality with um with Disney films at that time because I think that before that they didn't really do a lot of that and then we go to uh, Lion King which I cannot remember the exact situation but I know that there oh, is there a, was the, it's a small world yeah then, then yeah there's a there's a, a another like like small gesture towards like a a not a shared universe obviously but just sort of like we own these characters and we own these things like why don't we just like put them in as a bit for people who are willing to like look at them and be like, oh, I can, I remember that, that sort of, like, situation. And the genie's wearing a goofy mask, or goofy hat yeah. at the end of the uh, there's movie. There's another reference in there, too. Yeah. I can't remember exactly what it is off the top of my head. Yeah, and yeah. there's a... I'm, I, I don't mean to, like, just, you know, steamball over this stuff, but I was actually, like, looking up and doing some research about the history of Aladdin, like, leading up to this, but um, there is this really great... Um, video on YouTube by a media critic by the name of Lindsay Ellis, Lindsay Ellis. Yeah. And she was basically going through the entire uh, history of how did we get to a point where all of these animated films are sold off of, are basically marketed and sold and promoted off of the celebrity name talent that, that, that like precedes them, right? Like you have, Whoopi Goldberg as this character, or you have, uh, I, I don't know, Jason Statham as one character or something like that. I don't, I don't know. It's like I'm just pulling names out of the top of my head. But you have Shrek, and people usually point to Shrek as being like the huge watershed, whereas like this is where at least it was the case for like 3D animated films. That's where it sort of like really picked up steam. and he it found a voice that was completely on it, the way out. It, exactly. And brought him in. Exactly. And then <laughs> it, it, no, it, it just, it just keep on, keeps on building momentum. But really, the impetus for the inflection point, the, the, the inception of it, comes from Robin Williams in Aladdin. And here's an interesting thing about Robin Williams signing on to do Aladdin. He says, like, okay, I don't want my voice... I want, I want to be a part of animation. I love animation. I think he's like he was very much influenced by animation like coming up as as a young like comedian and he just wanted to be a part of that especially for his kids, right? Um but he was like I don't want my voice and my name to be used to market this film necessarily. We already know you look to each other and you see how that how that may not match up because he was like, I want this to basically like he wanted to be paid at least at, at screen actor guild like rate where it was like $700,000 for his appearance in that film. And what a saint. And he did not want his, I mean, he was a screen actor, so this is what it is. I'm making a joke. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah. But <laughs> he, um, he, he didn't want his uh, name to be used in more than 25% of the promotional material for the film itself. And to be fair, that's sort of like what they did. Like for the first actual like uh, poster for um, Aladdin, they just show the lamp. And his name is barely even really mentioned on there. Not until like the later posters that sort of come out like in the lead up to the film. Uh, but then the way that they got around that 
was through um, the actual material merchandise because it's not pertaining to directly the, the film itself, but rather the promotion of these toys and shit like that. And he was very incensed about that. Well, um, so it's funny you say that because there are two direct-to-video sequels to Aladdin. In the first one, he was not involved. But in. he was in the second one. He was in the second one because, because by that point... Um, the executive, uh, I cannot remember his name. It may have been Patzenberg or whatever. He was the guy who was over overseeing a lot of that shit. He was already on the way out. And the new guy who came in basically made a public apology, like in a actual like like newspaper editorial, like back when people did that back then, where uh, he just basically says like, you know, this is my mia culpa. It's like we we entered into an agreement in good faith and in trust with, with Robin Williams. And for some reason we did not fulfill on that. And I want to personally extend an apology to Robin Williams for having done that. Um, we did not mean to like abuse, abuse your name and to abuse your talent in that and, way. And he did, and he came back. And also too, if you watch the second one, it's not good because yeah. Dan Castellaneta, the voice of Homer Simpson and yeah. other characters, uh, comes in as the genie, and it's not good. No, probably Wait. has something to do with that fact that he, he comes in as the genie. He is the genie in the second movie. Yeah, but I thought he Robin Williams came back for the second movie. He came back for the third movie. Yeah, oh, for we, the second. We talked about for, first for, for this for the yeah. second direct-to-video film. No, for for the first direct-to-video. So the set. I'm sorry. All right, so that's where we're getting confused. Okay. Yes, you were the, saying first and second direct-to-video. Who's sequel. on first? Yeah, the, the second Aladdin film gotcha. has all the same actors doing the voices. That's Return of the Genie. Jafar. Yeah. And, uh, other than the genie, who's voiced by Dan Kislanetta. Yeah. And then the third film... King of Thieves. I remember clearly because I own the third film because Robin Williams came back. And there's no way in this era that that would not have come to the theater. Yeah. Um, but at that time... It was a late era. They still like... thought that people didn't want to watch sequels. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It was a late era, um, like one of those direct-to-video like Disney releases... Oh, yeah. And it actually prominently did actually feature like it's Aladdin, the King of Thieves, starring Robin Williams, like on the actual like casing. So that well, was very... at that point, it was a little. I mean, there's nothing yeah. really left of Aladdin's story. Yeah, no. it really wasn't. It was a good movie, though. I enjoyed it. Looked cool. So, anyways, but that's all my trivia. For just right finishing now. up, other people involved in this project. Um, Scott Winger does the voice of Aladdin. And also we have Linda Larkin doing the voice of Princess Jasmine, uh, a guy named Jonathan Freeman doing the voice of Jafar, and then a couple other people you may have heard of, including Douglas Seal doing the voice of the Sultan, and Gilbert Gottfried as Iaku the bird, or parrot. Uh, so... Other than uh, your thoughts and what you've been kind of reading up on regarding Robin Williams and, and everything regarding his performance, mm -hmm. what are your just overall thoughts on, on this particular film, Toussaint? I think this film is amazing. I think that um, the animation is incredible. I think that the the backgrounds, the painted backgrounds for this are just fucking gorgeous. Like I literally was taken aback multiple times being like, holy shit. When they first like pan out to like Agrabah, 
when they show the interior of the of the throne room for the Sultan, when they show the the balcony for uh, Jasmine's room. I was gonna say like, the, all the... of those fucking like backgrounds are so incredible, and the in the interior of the um the the cave of wonders with all the uh the the ancient gold and stuff and 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 the the, the inner chamber where the uh where where the lamp is housed like that reminded me a lot of the the latter disney uh animated film uh atlantis the lost empire i feel like that was definitely a huge like influence on that I think that Aladdin was a huge influence yeah. on that particular scene with the, the 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 chamber for the crystal in that film. It's just it really, really. I'm not. I'm not even trying to say this for like nostalgia's sake. It's like it's hard hard for me to separate um, a critical assessment from a sort of a nostalgic assessment because this is literally this film is linked to one of the earliest memories that I have uh, in life in general. But it's just. Uh, I can totally see how this film was uh, was a benchmark for its time. I can totally see how well it works. I can see how this film could have <laughs> unintentionally birthed an entire generation of theater kids, like just like singing pantomime to the uh, to the to the songs in this, and like listening back to like the lyrics of this because I wasn't listening to that when I was a kid. I was like I, I was just you know following the line of action, like seeing these people like chasing after a lad and him jumping and parkouring before parkour was a thing, and like him using like lines like maybe I should have used a nom de plume. I was like huh, I finally get that now. I was like there was just a lot of really smart wordplay, a lot of really sharp dialogue um it's just and and then as soon as like it, it like it's 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 impressive and it's and it's entertaining to a point but like as soon as robin williams's genie comes on like you can tell that the film is built around him like it's just so it, it it's such a, a a massive shift in in just relative like screen presence but that. You know what, though? Yeah. Kind of not exactly like, but kind of like with Heath Ledger's Joker, mm-hmm. it's not like as soon as he comes on, like it's just the genie for the rest of the film. Like he kind of comes and goes throughout the rest of the film. Yeah, but he's like every single scene that he's in, he dominates. He does, but... Absolutely dominates. It's not, you know, every single scene is just surrounded around the genie yeah like, i'm not i'm not wondering what's the su- genie doing right he's now he's definitely a great supporting character oh throughout yeah this and i think that's what makes him so good mm-hmm. is the fact that he does have a big number and then he has some discussion with aladdin right and then he's gone for a few minutes and then he you, comes back you and, have a yeah. you have a reliable likable enough protagonist in aladdin you have his sort of immediate sidekick in Apu, but really the Abu, Abu, but um, the genie really is the foil for, for Aladdin is like Aladdin is like the inadvertent straight man where he's just like, I don't know what you're, you're talking about. It's like, okay. And he's just like, like Robin Williams, his genie has such comic energy, such craziness. Like, it's just so, I mean, he's doing like impressions of like Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Like that's another thing. It's like, it's this, it's this, that's when it really gets really weird and meta and crazy as shit because he's just pulling from all these different references from like 
it should not make sense for this to happen in this time span. We have a fucking scene where where Aladdin and Jasmine are flying on a magic carpet past fucking Egypt, and a guy like is trying to chisel one of the noses and accidentally like fucks up the Sphinx, and that man is definitely going to die. And I'm just like, what era are we living in? Yep. Yeah. It's like uh, time is a flat circle. But anyway, it's a great movie. I love it. Um, I would, uh, I would definitely recommend it, and I would definitely uh, show it to my kids someday. It's like it's a, yeah. it's a great film. So I am also a huge fan of Aladdin. Yeah. When I was, uh, even though I, I love The Lion King, and I, I probably put them pretty close in terms of like if I was ranking the two of them, I'd have to listen back to the episode and see how I ranked them if okay. I had them both on there. Yeah. It's a good, I should do that. Yeah. So should you. Listener, so should you. Uh, that being said, I absolutely always loved Aladdin. Um, I, I think that was the film I would definitely go back to and watch more frequently than The Lion King. I think mostly because it is just a really good story in terms of the idea of this sort of poor street, pretty much homeless person who's vagabond. Street rat who's who's stealing just to live and and has living just to steal, <laughs> stealing is... just to eat, eating just to steal. Yeah, very well put. It's almost like somebody wrote that. Yeah, uh, and he, uh, you know, has acquired a very particular set of skills uh, during his time as a street thief. <laughs> yeah, and it's. You know, a very interesting, especially at this time in the early 90s. I mean, the love story in a film like this is basically a fucking requirement. So, yeah, that's uh, we made a couple of jokes about that, like across the across the film. I'm just like, <laughs> but I mean, that's that's just what this was always going to be. It was it's an, it's an artifact of its time yeah. in a lot of ways. It's like it's not the worst an example of of that sort of era but it's certainly like it has its uh some parts of it is like you know you got to like talk about it afterwards yeah 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 i mean it it just kind of is is what these films were yeah. and is there is going to be a love story at the heart of it and there will be some sort of budding romance and that's going to be what the film surrounds around and that's yeah. exactly what this is yeah. um but i think i mentioned last week uh, briefly when we we're talking about this but uh, the reason one of the characters i've always loved a lot was jafar as i feel like he is a great villain because he fits into so many perfect roles like he he's not just this outsider looking in like he has access into everything surrounding what's going on throughout the film. I mean, he knows... And parts that even, like, the... the ostensibly the most influential and powerful characters in this film do not have access to, like the catacombs. Like, he just knows how to worm his way throughout oh, the because he's escape. been... He's... He's... He's, he's the... Uh, he's he's the, the hand of the king, yep. in, a sort, in a sort of sense. He's the royal vizier. Like, he's the one who handles the actual shit, so why shouldn't he know about that stuff? But, it, but at the same time, he also is always trying to get involved with the story somehow and, yeah. is, and, and you know uses that access to try to weave his way in and it always feels so natural but he also feels like this extremely menacing character who the, f- the first proper scene of this film is him like dealing with some like ne'er-do-well like 
thief murderer who's like giving him the other part of this scarab in order mm-hmm. to open up the the cave of wonders like his actions are sort of like, they are the instigating like they are the impetus for yeah. everything like being set into motion and also too i mean there's just a perfectly reasonable reason why he becomes this magical creature at the end of the film which is also absolutely wonderful because you know, so many other Disney films, whether it be, um, you know, Snow White or um, even uh, Little Mermaid. I mean, we have these magical creatures who we just kind of accept that they are what they are. But there's a perfect reason why he's able to become a sorcerer and a giant snake. Mm-hmm. And he's be able to become even a genie at the very end of it. Because... All of that is already sort of foreshadowed in, like, some of his principal actions, like his ability to disguise himself, his ability to, like... Basically create that storm cloud, even though it's like through artificial like means and stuff like he's already conversant in this. He's just not the most adept and he just wants to be the most adept at it. And he does. And that's obviously ends up being his downfall. Yeah. He so into a Faustian bargain which, that then bounds him to a life of servitude for all. I eternity. think is still one of the better endings in any Disney animated film that yeah. I can recall. Yeah. I mean, it it's it. Leads to not actually killing the villain. Yeah. It leads to basically two twofold. You outplay him at his own game. Yeah, and at the same time, him. force him into something that the main protagonist character has been forced into at some time, which raises all kinds of fucking questions. Like, how did the was journey... the genie a really terrible person a yeah. thousand years ago? Like, it's it's a, it's actually quite no. really He was blue. Okay, that's Babu di Babu die. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm a huge fan of Aladdin. I think it's the animation is absolutely fantastic. I mean, the way that we move throughout these different scenes, the depth that's created throughout the different frames of this film is absolutely fantastic. And uh, this is just a really well put together film, and a, obviously absolutely fantastic 2D animated film. I have a question that I want to press to you because I know that you, like you've said. Just now that like Jafar is probably one of your favorite villains. Yeah, I mean, I didn't I didn't bring him up on our villains episode, yeah, but, but I I've, yeah. I've always been a huge fan, right. especially when I was a kid. Right. Do you think that one of the characteristics that sort of defines this so called Renaissance period of Disney films that you mentioned before, like mm-hmm. the ten year period and the ten films, um, like how much do the actual villains of those films actually play into that? Because I just I like for me at least when when I was growing up. The Disney villains were my favorite characters of those films. Hands down, I, I didn't really give much of a fuck about any of the actual heroes. I mean, they the really... villains really were the most eccentric and the most flamboyant and bombastic, like, out there personalities. And I just love their fucking costumes, and I just thought they were cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I think for the most part, they really defined... A lot there, of there were there of that respective era. films, yeah. Well, I mean, and I won't I won't say that they were the reason why people went. Yeah, but, but I think are. the fact that the quality of their characters and the fact that they create the kind of conflict that they do in all of the great films that mm-hmm. are in there. I mean, we'll talk about it in a few minutes, but I mean, Scar, who is definitely not the best villain ever, no. but the fact that he can create all of this family infighting mm-hmm. and in the next scene have this large Nazi number. Yeah. Um, is Nazi jackals. Very interesting. Obviously the voice of him, uh, is a much more well-known person as Jeremy Irons as the voice of scar in the lion King, which I did not realize that until you like 
said it out loud. I was like, holy shit, that's where I recognize that voice. Yeah. That was that was how I felt like watching Lion King, like multiple. Not to jump around, just for both of these films, when you were citing like the actual voice actors behind them. Like I was there's like, way more in Lion King. There's there's way more in Lion King, but when you're actually citing the the voice actors, well, the reason why there's more in Lion King is because they could afford to pay more people in Lion King versus like the outsized uh, salary for Robin Williams in, in in Aladdin. So that might have been part of it. Uh, but it's crazy to think how 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 much vocal talent Disney was able to pull from in like voicing their own films. Like I was already sort of familiar with that when it comes to like their, their handling of the localization of like Hayao Miyazaki's films. Like you don't get Patrick Stewart to voice a character in Nausicaa Valley of the Wind and not have fucking money to back that up or Shia LaBeouf for that manner in one of those films. Or Andy like his, Dick. Or, um, don't talk to me about that. I remember that now. Don't, uh, anyway, uh, but, uh, yeah, I think that the vocal talent combined with the, uh, the animation for the villains is such a huge uh, is such a huge defining characteristic of those Renaissance films. Well, not the only thing, but I'm no, saying that's a huge it, the, for me at least. Yeah. I'm in the same boat because yeah. you look at Beauty and the Beast. Gaston is an absolutely fantastic villain mm-hmm. because he's basically a much more nuanced version of somebody like Biff Tannen, yeah. who's just got this eccentric, toxic, masculine. Mm-hmm. Uh, aura around him yeah and a woman just isn't interested yeah and i'm gonna force myself on her <laughs> pretty much yeah yeah um and it you know turns into this uh you know uh, it's always a fight over a woman usually in yeah. these this era oh uh, boy in yes. many eras of film yeah but i mean many eras of human history gaston is a fabulous villain um yeah. and so is jafar and i think yeah. scar is a good villain too and i mean you can even go further on in this in this era i mean there are are good villains here um as well i mean look at uh the fantastic voice acting that james woods did for hades i mean he's fabulous as, oh, as that he was, Hercules. oh he was fabulous at, as hades I mean, it's too bad he, it's a, he died in that tragic fire <laughs> it, it it's 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 absolutely interesting that uh originally they had john lithgow uh do all of the lines of hades and they had him read all of them and what? he was there and I have to look. Th- I have to actually look up those those recordings because I need to see I, that. I don't know how readily available they are, but I do know he read all the lines for it, and they played it back and did so- with some of the animation, I and it just it. fucking wasn't working. Yeah, it just wasn't. Wor- yeah, and they brought in James Woods, who, who by a all accounts crazy, is man. a fucking terrible person, and yeah. he fucking was perfect. Yeah, you just needed a fucking terrible person to play Hades, uh, the god of the underworld. I would agree with you Tucson, yeah. in your assessment and i absolutely love the villains in this era and i yeah. think they're great and i think that that is definitely something that's been big time missing not just from animated films too mm. but uh, just in general the the antagonist in films um needs to be just as important as the protagonist yeah and, and, um, it's missing from a lot of modern films and what's interesting about like would you say that those disney villains of that era are i wouldn't characterize them as multi-dimensional i just think that they are just they 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 they're they're funny 
they're funny. They have humor about them. They have personality about them. They're not always just one mode of, of – I'm not saying that they're multidimensional in, in the way that it's like, oh, this person has a tragic backstory and other things like that. It's like, oh, this person has pathos or something like that. No, they're played as straight villains, but they don't have just one mode about them where you have like Jafar where he's like contemplating. is like, oh, God, I have to deal with that fucking princess until she gets married and then she'll have us uh have us banished or worse beheaded like just having those like playoff moments like those comedy moments where he's not just always calculating where he's like holy shit that would suck or when or i mean just the you know the actual animation of it yeah when jafar and iagu are slammed into the door and then the door opens and they're just basically crunched behind there and they just slide down the yeah Little things like that, I mean, definitely give them a personality. Yeah. I mean, you even get some of that with Scar, where some of them... Yeah. Even though pretty much after the first, like, big scenes with Scar, he's basically sidelined in The Lion King, which Mm. is a little awkward. Yeah. But, yeah. He's kind of a piss-pot, ineffectual king. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... That's kind of the whole point, that he's kind of sidelined, that he's like, he doesn't do shit, he ain't shit. The Lion King is completely about Simba and his rise in that film. Yep. So um, we'll get to that shortly. Yeah. Nick, um, give us some thoughts on Aladdin. Okay. Um, yeah, not a fan. It's uh, it's middle ground Disney for me, which is to say that it's got a lot of nice little parts. I do like the animation at times. Um, but I think Aladdin, the protagonist, sucks. Yep. I and agree. even if the like a genie obviously dwarfs his presence um still need to kind of have an anchor uh when it comes to the emotional root of this film Mm -hmm. i definitely don't have it with aladdin himself um i also think maybe because of that uh the love story sucks um that's uh and those are two very quote-unquote pertinent parts maybe not like uh you know they are two gears of this film for which the film has to pivot necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. And so for those, uh, you know, it uh, just doesn't really work for me. I think Robin Williams obviously is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I think the songs are weird because I think they work and are catchy, at least three of them, which I guess there's not that many songs in here. But I was specifically thinking of the, uh, uh, you know, step one do 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 yeah. do do and then uh never had a friend like me and a whole new world like those are catchy little jams um but they it's weird i find myself slightly at odds sometimes because on the one hand i marvel at the animation that went into making this movie especially in a in one of like the genie song of uh never had a friend like me because it's just this kind of unprecedented marriage of uh, chaotic energy and animation with an actual kind of vaudeville, uh, you know, act, and it works very well. On the other hand, I also feel like it's too much of two things, and so therefore I don't quite give myself over to either one of them. Because, uh, you know, if you had a weak song with amazing visuals, then it's easy to zero in on it, and vice versa. If you had a good song with, you know, lackluster. And so I almost feel like it's almost like kind of like uh, <laughs> Casper Noe's uh, uh, opening credit title sequence, Enter the Void. It's like, it's. it's I all. cannot believe you fucking cited 
The opening title sequence for Enter the Void and in, in your opening comments on fucking Aladdin. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's, it's like... Very it's very on brand for a, you, Nicholas. It's a great idea, and it's bright and shiny, and it bangs, and you also, yet also, like, just watching it. I'm it makes your eyes hurt. Yeah, I'm just kind of like, I don't know if I'm truly giving myself over to this, because it's just kind of there. shouting at me rather than letting me observe it. And, uh. um... Uh, yeah, so I'm not, like, terribly hot on this movie. I also don't really dislike it mm-hmm. much. It's just one of those where I watched it when I was growing up all the time. I yeah. had the puffy VHS, you know? And yeah, I had those too, yeah. yeah. With uh, the, 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 pil- the, the white pillow case. case. Yeah, yeah. Pillowcase. Yeah. 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 Yes, yeah. I knew it started with the P. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I played the Super Nintendo game that we had talked about. Oh my goodness, yeah. that level trying to get out of the Cave of Wonders Yeah, sucked. fuck that shit. That yeah. was like, like that was the kind of like shit when I was a little kid. Like after like I don't know, like a good thirty minutes, like I would just throw the controller and turn the game off and put something else on. Yeah, well, fuck that's, this. That's that the, the shit era. that teaches you perseverance. Yeah, <laughs> that's that was... the shit that teaches you how to fucking survive in this dead world. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, and that was the era too of like Super Nintendo and whatnot, where like you couldn't save anything. You had to like either oh, yeah. write down the passwords oh, yeah. to get you back to the level. Otherwise, oh, yeah. if you didn't, then you know you were screwed. You're shit out of luck. Uh, which, by the way, uh, I will point out that if you do still have a copy of The Lion King on Super Nintendo, remember at the level select screen, if you type in Barry B A R R Y, you will unlock all the levels. You're welcome. Um, and He's like a living game facts over here, especially with just one game, and it just happens to be Aladdin. Cult. No, no, Lion, Lion King. King. Oh, Lion King. I didn't get too far in Aladdin. Oh, okay. I pretty much only got to the merchant parkour scene <laughs> where you just had to bounce on the little tents. Yeah. Um, yeah, we all have our game. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what else? Uh, so, yeah, it's just one of those things where it's right down the middle for me, so I don't begrudge anyone for liking it, and yet I also wouldn't quite champion it myself. Um, that being said... Um, I also feel like maybe just watching the live action movie a week ago maybe hurt this rewatch because I had just experienced it. And unfortunately, even if the live action movie is not great, uh, it was a pretty shot for shot remake of it. So I had just experienced it in a very fancy new version, which is in no way better than this version. But it's very fresh in my mind of a story that I'm kind of already so-so on. So I'd be curious to see maybe if in a year or two if I were to revisit this without the uh, the viewing of that behind me, if it would stand more on its own. Because, man, Disney really needs to start rethinking these live-action remakes because what are... I, I said it in... Uh, wait, did we do an episode? No. No. We were just chatting about it. I think we chatted, and I think I said, the like, what is the point of them? And just rewatching this, that's just another well, reiteration of that question. It is It is kind of a, a, a bit of a troubling trend that as these live-action remakes go on, the further we go on with them, the closer we are getting to just having a shot-for-shot remake. I mean... Yeah, if you look at Jungle Book, and even even though it's not a, it's a totally different story, but Maleficent, I mean the earlier films, even Cinderella to a lesser extent, I mean they were very similar, but you had differences throughout, and you had there's new... a Cinderella live action film, yes, wow. with uh, Lily James, yes, yeah. I forgot about that. It's very mediocre, yeah, very uh, forgettable apparently. Yeah, uh, but I mean as time has gone on. I mean, the films are getting just 
I mean, I mentioned we were talking, we were watching the animated film, like even Jafar banishing Aladdin and him going into a snowy Arctic place that probably doesn't exist anymore because of climate change. Um, Basically, shot for shot, exactly how that went down in the animated film and in the live action film. And that is like low hanging fruit to try to do something different in that particular instance. I mean, you keep the basic story the same. But you change up the variables, and we can't even fucking do that. I don't know. So, uh, that being said, I thought there were parts of the live-action film that actually were pretty good. Um, Especially, even though it was trying to do, like, a Bollywood dance number at the end, um, I actually thought that kind of... uh, I I don't know what the best word is. That kind of excitement is something that they could have used in other parts of that film because it seemed like the people and the characters in that scene were actually trying and happy to be there where throughout the rest of the film they were trying to just now let's watch these frames from the animated film and you do that exact same thing right here that doesn't make sense yeah so that's fine I was really big back when I made Snatch, but now I'm fucking just taking orders from the mouse, so... (laughs) Oh, Guy Snatchy. I mean, I still can't believe Guy Ritchie made an Aladdin live-action film. Welcome to the Lair Cake! And he definitely did a job. There was not a lot of... Is that a Guy Ritchie movie? I don't think so. There, there, There was not a lot of Guy Ritchie directorial imprint on this film, it feels like. Really? The live action Aladdin? In, in terms of like the actual like there was slow mo for no reason. There's a Matthew Vaughn film. There was okay. yeah. there was uh spinning one eighty cameras yeah. around singular motions. Okay. I I'm I mean, not it's not going to look like it but it definitely didn't need any of that and it was in here. <laughs> no, yeah. So I don't know. Anyways, getting away from that, I I um I'm a huge fan of the animated film and uh giving a rating on it, I would give it a super high rating uh, of four and a half out of five as I am a huge fan of Aladdin. Uh, It was a very big part of my growing up in terms of uh, becoming a film fan, especially at that age when animated films, especially Disney animated films, were basically just what I went to see whenever I was taken to see movies. So I was a huge fan. Absolutely loved the genie then. Uh, and still love Robin Williams' performance now, and love basically most of the characters throughout this film, even some nuanced performances like the, um, what's the name of her tiger? I always forget. Raja? Raja. Like, that tiger has no lines. It is not a speaking character. And yet that tiger... He ain't gonna be in the Screen Actors Guild. (laughs) That tiger delivers so many great moments throughout the entirety of the film, his closeness with Jasmine and then even the comedic part where he gets made into a little tiger towards the end uh, is, is great. And that's something I love about this film is I feel like it's characters, it's story, um, obviously the fabulous animation and um, just the great voice acting and wonderful songs uh, make this an absolutely fantastic film. Um, for final thoughts on for Aladdin, for Aladdin, That's yeah, good. I think that it is pretty much as I said before. Is like I think it's a benchmark film. I think that it's a incredibly well animated film. Um, it ages very well with regards to that. Um, I'd have to say 
kind of piggybacking off of uh, Nick's criticisms. Yeah, the love story is pretty staid. I think that Aladdin is not all that interesting of a character. Um, if you're coming to this film, you're usually coming to it for like the larger-than-life personalities in descending order of the genie, um, Jafar, Iago, and the magic carpet. And none of those are actually the main character. <laughs> Some of those are supporting characters or the villain or the supporting characters for the villain or the supporting characters for the supporting characters. It's not really Jasmine. It's not really uh, um, Aladdin himself. But they're okay. So, yeah, I definitely I like this film a lot. Good. Yeah. So what would you rate it? What would I rate it? I would give it a... Four out of five. Alrighty. Uh yeah. Uh two and a half out of five for me. Don't really I could live without Aladdin, and I also don't mind watching Aladdin. It's kinda one of those things. Okay. Fair. Very well. So the next film that Disney put out, um I mean Beauty and the Beast is right up there too. But I would say that Lion King is probably the film that most people would be the first film they think of when they think of this era. Not sure. Beauty and the Beast is right there, too. But I know that Nick loves Beauty and the Beast, so I'm not saying that it's not a great film. And that it's also not a film that people usually think of first. But Lion King uh, was like a thing. uh, Oh, yeah? Where's his Best Picture nominee? That's what I thought. Okay. That's Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, are you done? <laughs> yep. Okay. <laughs> so Lion King came out two years later in 94 um, and surrounds a lion cub, Crown Prince, who is tricked by his treacherous, treacherous uncle into thinking he caused his father's death. He then flees into exile and despair, only to learn in adulthood about his identity and his responsibilities. Come on. It's an hour and 24 minute film. We can make a better fucking description than that. Oh, yeah. So the film stars, um, well, James Earl Jones is the big voice uh, that we hear throughout this play. Another consistent theme where it's just like it seems like the supporting characters dwarf that of the main characters. I mean, in terms of actual, like, line readings, Mm -hmm. James Earl Jones probably is close to the top. Yeah. Uh, so other than he, you also have Jeremy Irons, uh, doing the voice of Scar, Mm -hmm. his terrible brother. Uh, and then you have just awful, just a dog shit brother. All He's just not great. Yeah. Now. Uh, and then you have, uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas doing young Simba and Matthew Broderick doing adult Simba. Yeah. Also, here are Rowan Atkinson, previously mentioned as the voice of Zazu, and Whoopi Goldberg as one of the hyenas. And also, too, you have some other great people who do wonderful work here, including Cheech Marin, and also <laughs> Nathan Lane, who is just a absolute treasure to acting, and he yeah. should be in more. But he's a mainly stage performer at this point, but he's absolutely wonderful. And he's giving a great performance in the movie, the birdcage. I don't know why I felt like I had to say that, but it's just true. You know what? That's Rob Williams. We were talking about him. Oh, he's also wonderful in that movie. That's just a good movie. I mean, we should do it sometime. 
I've never you seen, seen it. it. I've never seen it. Oh, if we do it, mm-hmm. I think we should do the French film and it. Okay. For funsies, la caille la folle. Is that how it's pronounced? No. Okay. That's kind of that's but a I, that's a pretty late Gene Hackman film too. I mean, he wasn't like retired yet. I think his last film was Welcome to Mooseport. <laughs> but yeah, but uh, that was pretty late in his career. Yeah. Um, he retired. He stuck to it. Like sure he did not did. come back. Well, I mean, come on. You you make a Welcome to Mooseport. What else do you need to say in your career? And on a high note. Um, yeah, I think the only thing I can think of him, he was in a few things after that. But he was in Enemy of the State, too. I was going to say, he was time. in a lot of minor things, I think, at that, after that, like Behind Enemy Lines and, um, oh, God, what's that one where he, 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 <laughs> I just had it in my head, and now I forgot. Thanks a lot, Satan. <laughs> <laughs> the Royal Tenenbaums? Is that what you're thinking? Oh, I wasn't even thinking about that. <laughs> even though that's a really good example. Um, Let's just say we do Runaway Jury is what I was thinking oh, about. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Where he played the asshole uh, lawyer. Yeah. Jury person. I don't know. He was oh, in, yeah. in, the, in the early 90s. He was like getting shit done. Like yeah. In this uh, six-year span, he was in Unforgiven, The Firm, uh, and Get Shorty, and also The Birdcage. So, I mean, he had, he had a good little run there. And then, uh, Welcome to Mooseport in 2004, and done. Good for him. Good for him. Got the fuck out. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Lion King is, I mentioned, an absolute classic by most people's definition. And also is going to have a live-action film coming out later this year mm-hmm. with all kinds of people who are prominent actors now and people people would know like donald glover as simba let's say donald glover james earl jones returning as mufasa um Beyonce. also you have uh chita for what's that she would tell there it is i combined his two names yeah. uh doing the voice of scar even though jeremy irons actually tried to come back as the voice of scar and was rejected denied. Which is fine. That's fine. They wanted to do something different, but not too no, different. No, they didn't. <laughs> not really. They let James Earl Jones come back, and he's got the most recognizable voice. I know, the but entire... there, who else could you cast in that role Maybe. after James Earl Jones? Uh, I don't know. A With, lot of people. No. You were wanting to do no. something different. No, I mean, like... He's, you either want to do something different. Or you, you want to do something different, but you don't want to do something too different. I think like, that is the definition by what you guys are describing from your experience with Aladdin. That is Yeah, the, but I feel like the, we're reaching peak... Like okay, well, I mean, yeah, it is we're gonna put it's... an actor who already did the role, and yeah, then yeah, like yeah, two years yeah, from now is yeah, going to be. Yeah. Now we're gonna take the same exact movie, but we're gonna convert it in a post three D conversion and render some of the animation in a higher depth than it was before, and we're gonna call it a different thing. Yeah, exactly. When I said when I I, I was like. Actually saying that it would actually probably come out better. Like, if you had the actual audio recordings and you had some, like, audio genius just, like, clean that shit up, you'd probably get a better product than actual current-day James Earl Jones trying to do the voice again. So here's the thing. Now that you have this one coming out, which is going to be the first one that's reliant all on Mm non-humans, I feel like someone's going to do that just at home and homebrew that shit and put it on 
not YouTube probably, but YouPorn or something, where all files that you want to watch, like The Big Short, um, or uh, <laughs> others. Like, no, it's a, it's a joke, but it's not because they random movies pop up because no one takes things down on YouPorn. So. Hmm. Anyway. <laughs> well, at any rate, uh, there are some good... I think there are some good voice choices in that film, like Seth Rogen doing the voice of Pumbaa is interesting. I love the idea of John Oliver doing the voice of Zazu. That's I think a great, a great pick. Great uh, baton passing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I gotta say though, as much as I think Billy Eichner is like the dead ringer for that kind of voice, uh, I do not think we as a nation should endorse anybody who produces Billy on the Street, which is one of the most annoying pieces of media ever. You know, I agree. It's uh, every time I see it, I'm like, why the fuck does this exist? I like Billy Eichner. Like, I like his tweets. I like mm-hmm. him as a person. Yeah. Apparently, the show he was on Hulu, Difficult People, was actually pretty good. Seemed like a decent dude. But it's not a funny to just shout at elderly people nonsense. Like, I just don't get it. Like, maybe I'm being weird, but I just... It's, I don't think you're being weird. Just, yeah. I don't there's think no you're joke. Being, so uh, there's no joke. It's the, doing... the joke is that he's, he's flamboyant and feminine. But he's like... not even either one of those he's just obnoxious yeah like jack I mean, from will and grace is both of those things yeah and i think that's just the public perception of like what what gay that, people are cause yeah it's kind of sad because i know Billy it's, it's sad, supposed yeah. to be a kind of a on the front lines for advocating for I know, yeah. so why you i don't know like i'm not even going to speak for that because i, know, I, I yeah. can't and i right. don't know but exactly yeah. uh we don't need to make any more, okay, Billy? Yeah. Take that Lion King money. Yeah, take that Lion King Do something King useful with it. Yeah, probably not. Probably just going to do that on steroids now. So I was, this was 94, I was seven, so I like was very much aware of what I was seeing, and I remember seeing the Lion King in theater and everything that came from the Lion King. So loved this as a kid, um, loved Loved Lion King as I was growing up. And I think the other thing about this particular film that's interesting that always kind of falls a little bit is that all of, or not all of them, but most of the original songs in this film were written by Elton John, which I find pretty interesting because that feels like something that kind of gets forgotten. Um, but I think that, that makes a, a lot of sense now in, 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 retro, in retrospect now that you've said that because. I think that as much as I enjoy the, not to jump the gamut, but um, as much as I enjoy the musical numbers in uh, Aladdin, I think that the ones in Lion King are just a, a league apart. That's not to say that, that I'm not trying to compare apples to oranges in this sort of respect, but I'm just saying the thing that I remember most from Lion King is not the animation, but rather the music. The music, I mean, the... The, the in- music outstrips it. The, the music, opinion. the yeah. instruments that are played throughout it. I mean, the I said it, we were just watching the film, you know, a couple hours ago. I mean, the opening six-minute sequence uh, in the Pride Land leading up to the title card smash with the end of um, Circle of Lysan is basically filmmaking perfection in my humble opinion. I mean, you're just basically setting the scene for everything you were about to see mm. without actually just telling the audience everything. You're just letting everything happen. Yeah. And, and all the characters basically make an appearance in some way, shape, or fashion. Um, and it is just 
wonderful storytelling through showing um and also just a great just i I don't want to say pornographic but it's just like it's just like the the idea of like trying to hit all these emotions at one time like it is just leading up to the very ending of that opening sequence and it's absolutely fantastic yeah and by pornographic i don't mean sex but you know what i was going for yeah it's just it's just indulgent it's just uh um a sensory, a sensory overload. It's going for a certain emotion, yeah. um, and it pretty much does it in the opening sequence of an animated film that yeah. you have no context for. Yeah. So, um, I'm very interested to see what the live action film because I'm assuming it'll just be shot for shot. Oh, I bet it's gonna open with the ah, and then it's gonna be a shot for shot remake of so the original. The... Yeah, thing about the live action, if they're smart, which I don't think they are, <laughs> um. They would actually try to make the Broadway version live action. So that way you are getting an adaptation of The Lion King. But, like, we could do with an actual sequence of the song He Lives in You and a few other ditties from the Broadway musical, which, in my opinion, kind of eclipses the film in a lot of ways. Mm. What The Lion King was back then was monumental, but I feel like what The Lion King on Broadway was to Broadway in its era was even more uh, fire uh, than the original film was. I mean, that was a that was a really big deal. That was yeah. the first Broadway play I ever saw, like, on Broadway. I'm sure and it's the first Broadway show a lot of people saw. Yeah, I was going to say, and I don't think, it, I think it would have been a long time before I saw an actual Broadway play if I hadn't gone to see that one, because that one had come out when we were young enough to go see a play. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know I had seen other things, but I don't know that I had gone down. Like, I knew in my head when I went and saw that, that I was seeing something that was, quote-unquote, on Broadway. And mm-hmm. that this was a big deal. So. Mm. so, just to wrap up my first thoughts on it, I think The, uh, the Lion King is an absolutely fantastic film. I think that it... Even though it does not have, I don't think, as good of a story as Aladdin does, I think overall the animation, okay, overall the animation uh, is right on the same path and it is a different way. I mean, just the stampede that takes place through there is just absolutely incredible that that was able to happen in a 2D animated film and look as fucking fantastic, which actually makes me a little disappointed with the final fight between uh, Scar and Simba because it just doesn't look that good. Um, And the fact that you're able to do these great scenes earlier throughout and just, uh, it's not just like great, you know, slow moving scenes like that stampede scene is like like there's something happening every single millisecond in the frame like you're seeing action happening and then you have the like slow motion that's the one thing the frame. in uh, this entire film that just did not age because i do think yeah. in 1994 it probably looked cool i mean i remember watching it um and just because i think people don't always People take the fluidity of animation for granted that it always goes at a certain speed or faster. So the idea of animation like slowed down in a frame by frame, which harkens back to actually projecting something and you know and having a tangible speed to it. Um, I think because it's you know 1990s 
technology doing it, um, mm-hmm. it certainly shows its age because if we did it now, I think it'd look okay, at least like the intent behind it. But uh, when we were watching it, and that was the remastered version, you know what I mean? Uh, it had this weird banding effect where uh, the fluidity of those lions moving were very choppy in a weird way, in a way that the whole film usually rises above. I was going to say, it really wasn't present throughout the rest of the film, so it just was kind of odd. But, I mean, there are so many iconic shots throughout this. I mean, other than the opening sequence um, during the Akuna Matata song, you have the awesome uh, walking of the three characters as you see Simba aging and these, I mean, the scene's basically moving perfectly fluidly throughout and they actually show that show that shit in the fucking trailer for the new one which i assumed it was going to be there but come on we can do better than this uh so can they can they do better than that i fucking know they can can they i don't so, think they can i just think that they're just going for the low-hanging fruit oh yeah absolutely this that entire adaptation is just low-hanging fruit yeah it's all low-hanging fruit. so i i and the be prepared number from Scar is absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, the the idea of forcing in Nazi ideology into a children's film um, is not ideology, but imagery. Well, a comparison. Say, yeah. it's not really. I'm like, what? You, the... you keep saying the Nazis thing, and I just want to point out that he's not really a Hitler. He has henchmen by yeah. the numbers. Yeah, the marching um, sequence is obviously meant to be evocative of like some type of. He's Fascist, in no way advocating sort of for popular. anything other than just like the elevation of himself. Me. Yeah, that's right. I'm, yeah, I'm just saying we we've said Nazi a lot that I I guess I'm putting my voice out there that I don't think Scar. Okay, is R- right, fan right. Or. No, I I think that um the whole promise of him is like you know support me or follow me and you'll never go hungry again. I'm just like ah like that's that's been the uh, the creed of many a a populist. Fascist, yeah, the asshole. Uh, the the marching hyenas. Is that is that is that is definitely like. Yeah, I, mean, I, I feel like that's explicit. That's actually been cited as right. being like, yeah, the we're third right, you know, yeah, going I, for a triumph of I, will I, I vibe here. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, but yeah, yeah. So I I will I will somewhat relent on what I was previously saying. I mean, mm-hmm. you can. I'm just no. Uh, uh, um, but at the same time, though, I do think that Scar does have this really manipulative uh, villainous background happening that I don't necessarily know if you really like, like you see other villains of this era and they're all evil for different ways. I I mean, like the when, fucking guy from Pocahontas when, is just out there just genociding people. Yeah. I'm here to just kill brown people on this new so, continent. That's but, what we call a Hitler. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> Yeah, when 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 Scar came on, like I remember saying, "It's like look at this little finger motherfucker," and I know that I made Alex laugh with that. And I'm just like, "Yeah, that's exactly that type of character, though." You were talking about Jafar when you said that. Was I talking about Jafar? Jeez. Oh shit! But Scar is definitely. I feel like he fits that mold too. He does because yeah. he, he's a weaker version of he's the weaker brother between him and Mufasa. Yeah, and he basically just really what his power is is just manipulation. And just like turning people against one another and selective disinformation. And, but also, too, I mean, I I think there are definitely more parallels than just the one scene. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, that being said, I will not completely drop off of that, but I will agree that I'm probably going a little too far into that. So, 
Next. M- moving on. Who wants to go next? You. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think The Lion King is a fantastic Disney movie. Um, I think... I'm trying to think. In this period, um, I prefer Beauty and the Beast to everything else, but I will say I don't think that a sustainable 30 minutes of Disney's has ever been matched other than uh, to the first 30 minutes of this film. Uh, I think the opening sequence, I think um, Just Can't Wait to Be King is a killer bop, and I think pretty much everything all the way up to the stampede is just a perfect... Uh, ideation of what I would want on a Disney movie, which is just straight bangers, uh, evil villains, and um, <laughs> and an actual emotional heart that's beating uh, until it's not. And uh, yeah, and I, I just think Scar in this movie is a fantastic villain because he's so little uh not in stature but he just has one interest and that's himself obviously and it's to be king and the way he goes about that is not by beating his chest but basically in true shakespearean spirit considering this is hamlet uh with african animals uh just goes around whispering in people's ears because he's kind of too chicken shit to actually try to fight for what's he believes is his um and he doesn't care about the difference between killing a child or killing you know his brother like it's just some dark fucked up shit and i think that that's the mark of a true villain uh compared to like someone like jafar for example who mm-hmm. just wants to be powerful in a way he doesn't even comprehend which uh, um, he too is also small but he's not as hyper fixated on a specific sort of goal it's more of like angling for power in any situation he didn't want to marry Jasmine until Jasmine became a means by which for him to like a fast track to power just in general as a whole like if it first became he wanted to be he wanted to be sultan, then he wanted to be a sorcerer, then he wanted to be a genie, which was basically the equivalent of a god. And then that, like, he kept on flying higher and higher off the heights of his own hubris until finally he was sent crashing down and he's confined to an itty bitty living space for all fucking eternity. Um, and to add to that, um, uh, Jafar, too, though, is like, you know, his big crux with the protagonist of that a little device showed him Aladdin and he was like oh that's my guy so like it's still just tenuous at best that they're even in conflict um, whereas this movie the family I mean dynamic, Snow White does the same thing uh, yeah yeah sorry don't okay. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to yeah. no I just yeah Great. And (laughs) in The Lion King, um, just everything is worked out perfectly here um, from the father and son dynamic to, uh, you know, you have two codes of masculinity kind of on his shoulder at such a young age and ultimately one one out um, for all the wrong reasons. And it sends him uh, obviously out and kind of banished by his own, almost by his own doing, because he just takes his uncle at his word instead of fighting for himself. And what I like, too, is that then when he's uh, exiled, so to speak, and finds himself alone, he's then raised by the cutest gay couple who kind of <laughs> teaches him what the true meaning of 
like being a man is, which is not any type of, you know, viciousness or, like, you know, courage in the face of, like, true violence, whatever. It's just claiming what's yours. And, yeah. and because they claim who they are every day just by <laughs> living in that jungle, um, Simba is able to take inspiration from that. And I just think that's beautiful. And, um... Yeah, I think the songs in this movie are fantastic. I think the animation is actually gorgeous throughout. I mean, there are some... Uh, you can say it about Aladdin as well, and I'll say it about The Lion King, which mm-hmm. is that, they're, you know, every every shot of painting. <laughs> um, I mean, every technically every single background is itself a matte painting, so yeah. it's like so. And um, I, I just think it's a gorgeous film. I think the animation is fantastic. And I agree that the last... 10 minutes or so is its weakest point because um, they kind of trapped themselves into a corner because they had Kind of like Scar. <laughs> uh, got beaten in the end. Yeah. yeah. Um, because they had built up such a great conflict that the only way that people were going to leave the theater happy is if there was a big fight, even though there didn't really need to be one. Like, it could have just been an actual role reversal of Scar being you know, hung, hanging on a rock and Simba just keep doing the same thing and that would have been the way of the fucking jungle and we all could have left happy. But instead, it had to kind of at least go into the kitty cat likes to scratch mode. Well, the other thing that's absolutely fantastic about the ending of this, well, the end of, the climax of this film um, is that Simba has no interest in killing Scar because he doesn't want to be this murderous no, lion like but I'd be Scar okay with is. that. I know. I would pretty much too. Um, He's but, a lion. But I actually feel like Scar actually gets a worse death because of oh, that. Because yeah. he doesn't get murdered. He gets sent out and he's basically fed to fucking people who are lower on the food chain. Has, so, anyone, has, has any other Disney villain, like I mentioned this before while we were watching it, but what other Disney villain has had a worse like comeuppance than Scar? Ursula's was pretty bad in the uh, in Little Mermaid because she gets, um, gets stabbed boat. to death by a boat. <laughs> yeah, she gets stabbed to death by a boat. Okay, that's that's pretty bad. <laughs> that's pretty bad. I mean, Jafar's in a fucking lamp. I mean, yeah. that's not a big deal. Yeah, but you should see the boat. It's not bad. Oof, man. Get it to big boat. Man, damn it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that m- most of the villains, I mean, uh, what Gaston just falls off of the... Top of the cliff. Yeah, it's top of the castle. See, here's the thing yeah. about Gaston really quick, because mm-hmm. I can talk about beating the beast any day. Mm-hmm. Gaston is one of the greatest villains because he so desperately wants to be a villain in the piece, and yet he doesn't realize he's just a side character that no one cares about, and that is reflected even in his death. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. Yeah. I would agree. By with the that. way, Luke Evans gives a fantastic performance in the live-action version of Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. We've covered it on this podcast, but... Anybody who's looking for anything to latch on to in that particular film, which is by far the best live-action film that they've done so far, in my opinion. Although oh, Jungle Book is pretty good, too. Um, Jungle Book is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Luke Evans, though, is by far the best part of that film. Yeah. So, yep. yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. Tucson, Lion King. Uh, Lion King. Lion King is one of those films that I... I'll be honest, I didn't watch it as much as the other sort of respective... Uh, Disney films of that era during the Renaissance. Um, I don't know. I just didn't have it on VHS as readily as like maybe I got that later, and I still watched it and I enjoyed it. 
Um, and that's sort of like how I feel about this film is like, I think that the animation, like Nick mentioned is, is gorgeous. I think that this is really, really well done. I don't think it's as expressive. It's not as the concept for it does not allow for the same sort of expression and lucidity as like the, the contours of the genie in, in, in Aladdin. And so maybe that's one of those things that sort of like, it, it, it doesn't really like, leave an impression on me as strongly as as that i think that the stampede sequence is one of the most memorable sequences in a in, in a disney animated film that i've ever ever seen um i think that is absolutely incredible um and the rest of it i is, mean how, how many hours do you think it took to draw that shit a lot a fuck ton i like, mean like every i mean i mean i would probably be oh, judged shit. in terms of time it took a group of people to well, draw it like are you years about, worth of time are you talking about the first pass or the second pass where they went back and they changed sonic's uh hair yeah exactly yeah that's what i'm, I'm talking that's, I'm sure that's totally what out- i'm talking about nick thank I'm, you i'm sure it's out there but in terms of the time i'm sure it's measured in months not hours yeah it's 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 a lot um the music for this film like i mentioned before is incredible and that was basically written by elton john i'm i'm both elton john and tim rice i'm i'm both surprised and not surprised at all because this entire like this entire soundtrack, this entire film, back to back, every single musical number is incredible. I am just absolutely floored by it. It's like it's just, it's just really well done. It's really remarkable, very memorable. Um, I think that James Earl Jones as Mufasa is like one of the great uh, cartoon father figures. Like I think he's just like a really awesome character and just very cool character to witness i think that jeremy irons as scar um it's not jeremy irons like best or most memorable role but it certainly is something that is like he brings he brings his his he he brings his all to that role and i think that it, it works um i think that um at least among a lot of the vocal performances those are the ones that really stick out to me those are the ones i really like um yeah, and I like the story of of Simba, just basically like this young boy who's this young cub who's trying to come into not only an acceptance of a responsibility and lineage that he has to rise up to, but also learning to forgive himself and to, like you said, to to take what is his and to and to accept both not only not only. Uh, what he's entitled to that, but also the responsibility that comes through that entitlement. And he understands that it's not just because, Oh, this belongs to me, but it's like, you know, like, no, this is something that I have to do. Like, this is something that my dad wanted me to do. And this is something that I have to do for my family and for my, for my, my pack, for my tribe. And like this, like, I can't just go off and live in the, in the forest forever, because then if I do that, then I forsake them. And that's just as bad no, not even just as bad, but worse than what I accuse myself of having done for, like, my circumstance of, of being near my father when he, he passed away. Even though he then learns that it wasn't his fault anyway. It was He was just a pawn in a larger fucking game. So, yeah. It's a, it's a great story. I like it. And those are my feelings on uh, The Lion King. Don't got a lot of them, but I do enjoy it. According to stories... On the internet, 
the on stamp, the interweb. The stampede sequence was completely done via computer generated imagery. Is the only part of this film. Yeah. Um, I can see that. The group of animators that solely focused on this sequence uh, spent their entirety of working for three years to create that six minute Holy sequence. Holy shit. I could totally see that. I think that uh, is. That is Ooh, boy. Was the marching scene also computer animated? It had to be. I don't know. I think so. Yeah. But uh, the story I was just reading, well, not paying attention to you, Tucson, so I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, At least you brought some of that at table. Uh, sort of. Yeah. But I should have also been paying attention to you, so no, I apologize okay. for no, that. Continue. No, no. It's yeah. not. Really not. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> that being said, um, the story I was reading basically said that they like there was no way to draw it without the stampeding um the stampede happening to have as much variation in that scene Mm -hmm. they would have to have it being computer computer generated yeah i could totally see that yeah Yeah. Yeah. but still having the look it has um it obviously you it shows that it took that long to Mm -hmm. do yeah especially then so it's just really well done i agree like it, it it doesn't feel out of place because i know that at least during that era when people were playing with um, just 3D animation as a whole and uh, computer-generated animation, trying to meld both that with within the rigors of 2D animation, sometimes it didn't always match up. Sometimes it just graded against one another. And uh, Disney was really on their shit. They're like, "Nope, we're not gonna, we're not gonna put that shit out there if it looks looks like garbage. We're not I gonna do that." I can't imagine them having a department that spends three years on one small part of a film now. Yeah, that's just filmmaking. I'm sometimes like, is it? Yeah, sometimes. I don't. I don't think they would. I know. I was like the the the, the one parallel that I think of to that is. Um, what was that? Like, this is not even, like, in the realm of animation. It's entirely in the realm of live action. I think of, like, uh, like Peter Jackson's, like, World War One documentary, They Shall Not Grow Old, where he, like, spent, like, all those wow, years. That's like, like, a passion project. I know. It was, like, but historical, like, proportion. Yeah, but still, it was, like, a commission piece that he had to, like, finish and, like, do stuff like that like it's yeah yeah but that's like a whole project he's saying like one department one scene, one department one scene getting to just make it uh, right oh i have another example okay i have another example um the i will shoot that one down too. no you won't no you actually won't because this actually uh pertains to this um Transformers 2. I will shoot it down. Transform- I don't give a fuck. No, Transformers 2. Stop it. There was an actual scene. Uh, I don't know if you remember that when uh, Sam Witwicky. I tried to block it out. No, when Sam, Sam Witwicky goes to college. You just said that and, with a straight face. And uh, he <laughs> is being uh, approached by a, uh, a young woman in his bedroom. And her face transforms into... Uh, Decepticon crazy like robot face. Of course it does. That actually took uh, the duration of nearly the entire production of the film to actually get down. I wish you were All... a transformer so you could transform into someone who wouldn't tell that fucking story ever. <laughs> wow. All six... beow, 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 beow. All 60 days of production it took them to Yeah, that. where they killed somebody. <laughs> Shit, man. Yeah, I'm sorry. That was the third one. It was a bad movie. It was all a bad They movie. all are. I mean, I'm I, sorry, like, I like the first one. I did when it came out. Yeah, I, I will fully admit that the other ones make that one look like shit in association. Yeah. Like, it's just... 
I have a couple cinephiles that are willing to like. I don't know. Oh, that's fine. They're I'm, they're they're willing to die. I'm they're they're little... willing to die on a hill for that last night uh, Transformer film. I don't know. What? They can they can have that. The, yeah. the one where 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 Optimus that would Prime, do the world a favor. The one is where that, is that the one with Anthony Hopkins playing his Westworld character? Yeah, and it's the one where you know they go back in time. They say, like, "Hey, like trans- turns out the Transformers were here all along." And there's also didn't we already know that there's that there's that weird <laughs> there's that weird scene where uh, Mark Wahlberg Literally is every is, time is, they is, get a transformer it's covered in dust and no like, or Mark, Mark Wahlberg is oh like God, guys I think his, it's a transformer his, his daughter is like uh, less than eighteen maybe less than the age the the legal age of <laughs> the legal age. the legal the legal age of consent. And she's dating some like bad boy guy, and there's there's an entire like sequence that's devoted to like the Romeo and Juliet clause in Texas, and I'm like, this is really uncomfortable. I don't know how I feel about this. And you uh, said you have cinephile friends who love this film. Oh yeah, I mean like the, the like some people are really willing to go to bat for it to just being like an enjoyable like piece of like trash trash oh, cinema that whoa. knows exactly what it is and places those gratifications like okay. earnestly in that sort of way it's not it's not trying to to uh make some pretense that it's high art but that it at least like I, i'm i'm not i'm i'm really paraphrasing their arguments by however okay. so many like different degrees could, of separation could, and it's been a while since i've talked to them about this i could i mean i absolutely love the movie the island and that is a absolutely terrible Michael Bay film. I've got a poster of it in this room. Yeah, uh, it's a horrible film, but it is a fun piece of trash that seems to be aware of yeah. this silly Holy sci-fi shit. nonsense. Yeah, um, so I could I could buy that. Now, if they were trying to say that it's a great film, I might. Have, <laughs> I, I, I might be interested to hear what they had to say. About I mean, it. Yeah, it's like it'd be interesting. Uh, it's just a weird situation. <laughs> So, final ratings on The Lion King. Who I, would like to go first? I would give Lion King a three and a half out of five. I think that is a very good movie. I would look forward to watching it again. I would highly recommend it. Um, it just really didn't resonate as heavily with me as this viewing as it has maybe in the past. And I'm sure that would change if I saw it again. It's just, yeah, just some. Having watched it again after like how for so many years, maybe five to eight years since the last time I watched this film. So yeah, it's beautiful. Go watch it. Yep, I would give it a four out of five. I think it's a straight classic from the era. I very much enjoy it. I don't think it's perfect from start to finish, but I think it's one of the best uh, thought out stories of that era where. Most of the characters have either a tangible stake in the proceedings or something to offer the foundation uh, to have those stakes uh, fight each other. And uh, I just think it's all around just a just a good little bop. That's okay, you've been using That's that. W- you've been using that word no, all. I said banger. I said, banger. I said diddy. Banger diddy. Now diddy, I'm saying bop. 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 Those are different. And if he used the same term, that's okay. Yeah. But he didn't. I think he did say bop once. But it's okay. You've been jumping around. There's no problem. Did I say bop once? I think you may have. That's okay. Oh, Just okay. throw that. Yeah, I guess. It's fine. This is my last podcast. <laughs> Check the tape. Let's see if I actually said it. Uh, I actually give this the same rating as Aladdin. I actually love it. Uh, it's a four and a half out of five for me. 
Um, it is an absolutely just fantastic work of animation. Um, wonderful voice work, great storytelling, um, wonderful villain, as is a highlight of, of these this era of, of Disney and specifically Disney animated film. Um, and uh, just a wonderfully drawn film and a wonderfully told story. So it's four and a half out of five for me for the 1994 animated Lion King. If you out there have any thoughts on these two films or on the two new films that have come out this year or will be coming out this year, feel free always to send them on to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also try to find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at filmtankshow. And you can also find all of our episodes on filmtankshow.com or on iTunes or Stitcher, where you could also rate or review our podcast which we would like, and you'd probably like too, if you like the podcast and you took time to rate it. I'm assuming it's because you liked it, or it's because you think it's fucking shit. So either way, please just do something. Either way, thank you. Well, yeah. Well, you know what? If they're taking the time to rate it, at least, you know. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Unless it's just like looking and just saying, no, zero stars, not horror, fuck you. Yeah. So, yeah. It is its own form of passion. That's all right. Speaking of uh, not horror, how is Shutter going? Is that is that going strong or, or... Oh, really strong? Yeah, it's got a great selection. They're even dipping their toe into originals without sacrificing anything that they were offering before. Now, does it feel like they could at some point? Or, or I don't not? know because one of their quote unquote biggest sellers right now is that they revived Joe Bob Briggs, who used to do uh, Up All Night on USA and Monster Vision, maybe on USA or a different channel, where he would host horror movies, and that's happening live every Friday night on their channel, uh, where he will do a double feature, and he will do his uh, you know patented redneck commentary in the commercial breaks, and it actually does stop you know, you know, at whatever interval lets him ramble and then it goes right back to the movie and it's fantastic hmm. so i think they're considering they're still offering their shit for six bucks maybe five bucks uh that's a pretty damn good deal especially if you're into what uh what the content is for that it's yes even if from what in, i've heard a no-brainer from even if you're everybody. not like if you're not the biggest horror buff i think it's worth it for a month like to subscribe and look at their catalog, you're going to find things that are not, like, I would say, super scary. Like, there's horror of all kinds in there to the point where, like, something like it's not on there. But something like Take Shelter could be on there because that's oh. a horrific situation. I'm not saying that's their bread and butter, but you never know what you're going to find on there. Uh, there's something for everybody there. Hmm. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah. I've been hearing good things for a couple of years now, so it's good to hear that it's still going strong. If I had to cancel like all my streaming services, I feel like that would be the one I would keep. One, because it is the cheapest, and yet two, because you're getting actual bang for those cheap books. Okay, good to know. Coming up on episode 194, uh, we are going to take some time to talk about a Western. Uh, something we really haven't done. I mean, we did... Westworld! Yeah, we did an episode on the first season of Westworld, and we did an episode on Django Unchained, but we've never really taken time to devote an episode to talking about an actual, like, true Western. Classical, yep, mm -hmm. the era of John Ford, and in this case, Howard Hawks. 
that was a spoiler in the who might be directing the movie no. we're doing. Well, uh, so the film we are doing, um, and I mean, I know very pretty much nothing about westerns, so uh, we went to the resident film tank western buff which is Nick Cheney, believe it or not, as he is for pretty much everything that is in anime or gangster films. Um, and he uh, said the film that he thought was the best, that he liked the most, um, and is a well-known Western, uh, is the 1959 film Rio Bravo, starring John Wayne and Dean Martin. So, um, scams. we'll talk more about it on our next episode, but just since we don't really talk about westerns very often at all on this podcast i guess maybe just give a brief reasoning of why you uh suggested rio bravo yeah um i think rio bravo is a fun western because it was just at the tail end of the true studio heyday of westerns and yet it's still very much from that era like just after this movie we are gonna slide right into spaghetti western revisionist westerns neo-westerns and all sorts of genre bending uh, versions but this is one of the last times that uh, the gang got together uh, including some other people who weren't really present like Dean Martin uh, to give them one last show and um, I think it's fun because it's one of the chillest western it has a fantastic final shootout that's a great set piece and everything but Mm -hmm. leading up to that it's a lot of downtime and just people shooting the shit, um, trying to keep. Sounds the... like a Nick Cheney movie. Yeah, but still from the era in which you know, quippy lines and whatnot. But hmm. uh, just a lot of people just trying to keep the peace until the peace cannot be kept no more. Hmm. So good to I'm know. A big fan. Looking forward to talking about it coming up on our next episode. <laughs> So, from Tucson Egan, Nick Cheney, myself, Alex Diekman, as always, thank you very much to everyone out there for listening to us here on Film Tank, and we will be catching up with you next time. It's the circle, circle of life. Bum, ba, da, bum, ba, ba.